Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I saw the very best of the NBA, but I also took a lot of crap you know, over the years because of the teams I play for. So I saw the good and the bad and everything. And I think that even as a broadcaster, as a coach, it rounded me into the person that I am today. Today's podcast is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. For all of your home loan needs, just go to roysumbrella.com. You're going to love Roy. I've worked with him for a number of years. You know what else is great? At the end of the line, no tricks. There's no nonsense. There's no extra hidden charges. Again, buying a new home, maybe looking to do a refi, just go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. My guest today was a first-round draft pick in 1978, taken ninth overall by the Chicago Bulls. He was a two-time All-Star. He played in Sacramento from 85 to 88, then coached the Sacramento Kings from 2007 and 2008. He uh, has coached in college. He has been an assistant in the NBA. He's an actor. He's an avid hunter. I mean, the freaking guy does it all. It's great to have Reggie Theus on the show. Reg, how are you, sir? Grant, it's, it's great to hear your voice. Great to hear you back on air. And I'm doing well. Trying to survive all this craziness. Absolutely. All right, so here we are. It's January. So give me a little insight into what your hunting is life in the winter. I know you're a big bow and arrow guy. So, you know, what, yeah. tell me about it. Well, not much going on. You know, obviously it's basketball season. I've been doing XM radio stuff, NBA talk radio. So it's been a lot of fun. Normally I go on a, you know, a couple of hunts a year. I went to Montana elk hunting, and uh, this the weather was didn't cooperate this year. It was like almost eighty degrees one day, and then <laughs> it snowed six inches the next day. Then it was seventy five the next day. So it was, uh, you know, weather plays a big part in, in hunting. So came up empty, but you know it's. It's called hunting. It's not called shopping. (laughs) You know, that's funny. Yeah, but how does a kid grow up in Inglewood, okay, then go to college at UNLV and be an avid hunter? Where did your love for hunting begin? Well, you know, the funny thing about California, Grant, and you know this, two hours away from Los Angeles, you're in the desert. Two more, another hour and a half, and you're up in the mountains. You know, there's such a vast array of, you know, climates and, and different things you can get into were rabbit hunting in the desert and it just kind of grew from there and when i got actually got to sacramento i was a big rifle hunter before that when i got to sacramento a buddy of mine said you know hey you know because 
let's try bow hunting. And once I picked up a bow, I never shot a rifle again. That was 1985. Wow. Growing up. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just, so I fell in love with it. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a whole community and it's just, it's challenging. It's, it's serenity. It's, you do it. It's a lot of it's by yourself. And, you know, even today I'm going out to the range and it's just going to be me and just the, the targets and, and being outside. Growing up in Inglewood, right on the doorstep of the great Western forum and those great Laker teams in the latter part of the sixties. And of course, 69, 70, their championship series with the Knicks, Jerry West, Will Chamberlain, a couple of years after that, but growing up as a kid in the sixties in that part of the city, did you have a love for basketball as early as you can remember in your life? Yeah. Grant, speaking to the forum when I was a kid and watched games, I passed by the forum every day walking to high school. So I had an enormous, for the Lakers in general, growing up. I mean, you know, obviously if you weren't a Laker fan, you just weren't a fan, period, in those days. And, you know, the Lakers used to practice at Inglewood High School. So I got to, you know, see some of the Laker greats. And then as I got older, I even played as a high school player with, with the guys in the summertime growing up. So just having that background being around the forum and watching all the great, I mean, I was, you know, and then, and then playing for the teams I played for, you know, I got to watch the Lakers in the playoffs a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Right. Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) Do you feel that because of where you grew up and being so close to an NBA team, like the Lakers, that that had a profound impact on your basketball career? Do you think you would have ended up being an NBA player or as good as you were if you grew up in a different part of the country, maybe not near an NBA facility? You know, what's interesting about that, Grant, is that I'm one of those people that I love basketball. I work 24-7 when it comes to analyzing, coaching, anything that has to do with the technical parts of the game or playing the game. But if I had my choice of watching the game on a Saturday or going out and playing football, I was going to play football. Hmm. Wow. So I, I was, a, I, I love to play sports. I don't know if I was a huge fan of sports in terms of just watching and, you know, in terms of, you know, knowing the, the statistics and, you know, I had buddies of mine that were walking encyclopedias, but those guys, you know, were walking encyclopedias. I ended up playing in the pros because while they were watching it, I was out playing. And, you know, we didn't have all the internet and stuff when we were growing up. The greatest thing we had in those days was it was called NBA Action. And it came on once a week and it showed all highlights and stuff. And I'd watch that. But outside of that, I, I, I just enjoyed playing sports in general. Uh, if I didn't, play professional basketball I probably would have played football or baseball because there's a lot of my friends thought that I was a better baseball player than I was a basketball player and I quarterback and play wide receiver in football so I was just pretty athletic and pretty gifted in, in all sports was your decision to go to UNLV a difficult one were there a lot of other choices and what made you ultimately end up playing for the running rebels no, I was being recruited by pretty much everybody in the country. I really didn't 
want to take a lot of visits. I just kind of wanted to go in sort of four corners. UCLA was heavily recruiting me, but then that was the same year that Wooden retired. So, you know, I went on a visit to UCLA for about a half a day. And as we were walking on campus, the people that were showing me around, I was telling them about the history of the university and what happened over this section of the university and where the men's gym was and, you know, how we played games. And so there really wasn't much they could tell me about UCLA. The style of play was more so what drew me to, to UNLV. I had some people that w- went to UNLV, Robert Smith, Jackie Robinson, people like that, that were in the neighborhood, you know, Morningside, Crenshaw, neighborhood of where I grew up. So it, it was a, a, a real connection, but the style of play really was the main reason why I ended up at UNLV. But really, I could have gone to any, any school in the country. And, and the one place I wanted to take a visit but never, they figured out I wasn't going that far from home was Hawaii. I wanted to take a <laughs> sure. visit to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds for like various you. various reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like me, right? Oh, my gosh. But they found out that I wasn't going far from home, so that did never panned out. You end up in Chicago. Jerry Sloan is the coach, very young in his career, tough guy. What was that like going into the NBA to that big city of Chicago and Jerry Sloan is the coach? Well, you know, a lot of people say, you know, because I went to school in Vegas and, and we were headliners in Vegas. You know, you talked about Frank Sinatra and Wayne Newton and so forth and so on. And in the next sentence, you were talking about UNLV basketball. So basically, people were always said that I was leaving the big time to go play NBA basketball. Hmm. <laughs> so, wow. You know, which was, which was always interesting. And, you know, my first coach, going back to 1978, was my first coach was Larry Costello. And the first year I got to Chicago, it had a record snow of over 200 inches. And and so for me being a California guy and going to school in Vegas, that first year was just an incredible eye-opening experience for me with all the snow and the cold. But in my first five years at Chicago, I had six coaches. Jerry Sloan was one of my coaches my second year And, you know, unfortunately, the Bulls made an enormous mistake in firing Jerry Sloan, obviously turned into a a Hall of Fame coach. But you could see when Jerry was coaching that his first year, he was Jerry Sloan, the player coaching. The second year, he had different mentality. He had a different style. And his principles were all really great because he was a player. And he really dealt with you from a player's perspective, but learned how to, you know, obviously learning the coaching perspective. So playing for him was, you know, had an effect on my basketball career moving forward and 100% on my coaching career moving forward in the way that he dealt with us as players. You know, you talk about that snow in 78. I was a freshman at Bowling Green, and that blizzard closed down Bowling Green for three or four days. No, listen, and they had to bring in the National Guard. And I'll never forget the girls in, in, in college going out and melting snow to wash their hair. No, I'm not kidding you, man. That blizzard of 78 was unbelievable, wasn't it? It was, un- it was incredible. Right. I mean, I, I remember it was unbelievable. I rem- I watched people like, you know, like walking downtown, you had alleyways, you have, you have a, a sidewalk and then you have an alleyway, then another sidewalk and people would step out into that alleyway and the hawk, which is called, affectionately called the hawk, the, the cold, the wind, 
would be sweeping through that alleyway. And I, I've seen people get knocked down wow. and pushed across the street from the snow. And by the way, on a couple of occasions with my athleticism and, and my unex- inexperience <laughs> with walking in the snow, I hit busted my ass a few times. I'll never forget one of the first times I walked up to the Angel Garden, which was the area where we practiced walking up, the, walking down the stairs. I hit, I, I hit some uh, slick ice and hit the backside of my butt and just rolled down the stairs. And, and the guys never let me forget about it. Oh, boy. Well, here's the real key question. Did the blizzard of 78 keep Rush Street Reggie out of the bars? At that time in my life, not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> not uh, a chance. Yeah. Artist Gilmore made me buy a fur coat. Uh-huh. He called me Fooney. He said, Fooney, we're going to go buy these coats because you need a coat. That that little thing that you have is that hawk is going to beat you to death with that coat on. <laughs> so he made me go buy a full-length fur coat. And in those days, you know, you'd have your, your shirt on with his button. It was unbuttoned down to the middle. And, and you'd have the coat on and you'd still go do your thing. And, you know, it's like anything else. You were in Bowling Green, so you know. When you live in the cold, it becomes your way of life. Yep. And if it gets to be 30 degrees, well, you're riding around with your sunroof open and your windows cracked. So it, it, you just sort of get used to it. But it, there's, nothing, there's a big difference between Minnesota when I was coaching there, Minnesota cold, and Chicago cold. The difference is that's Minnesota and that's Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> big difference yeah. in the city. It still was a lot of fun and it's still great people and great fans. Phenomenal fans in Chicago, by the way. You had great success there. Two-time All-Star. And then correct him if I'm wrong. Didn't they? Kevin Lockery comes in and doesn't play you. I don't know what the hell he's thinking about. And then before you know it, you end up in Kansas City. I mean, for you being really at the, at the I don't want to, yeah, I'll say it, the height of your career, you were playing great. And then all of a sudden you're not playing. I mean, how yeah. difficult was that for you? That was That's awful. Grant, one of these days I'm going to write a book. You know, it'll all be in there. I've had an incredible career. A lot of positive, and I always told you, and you and I have talked about this before, one of the things that has has really shaped my life and shaped me as a person is that I have been, you know, in the upper echelon of the NBA, but yet I played on a lot of bad teams. Yep. So I was the best player on a lot of bad teams in a lot of situations. So I saw the very best of the NBA, but I also took a lot of crap you know, over the years because of the teams I played for. So I saw the good and the bad and everything. And I think that even as a broadcaster, as a coach, it rounded me into the person that I am today in terms of, you know, having that access to everything because I was a, you know, a, one of the better players in the, in the league. And also it kept me grounded because, you know, I had to claw and fight in every game and claw and fight for reputation and, you know, Lockery comes in and wants to make a change for no reason. I had come off an all-star year, averaging 28 points a game. And for his own personal reasons, that's the only thing I can think of. And the other part is, is that, you know, they had already fired three or four coaches. So he would have been like the fifth. And so they weren't going to fire him. And he really just got into a pissing contest with, with the ownership. And ownership didn't want to move me. He wanted to move me, but they, he knew they weren't going to fire him. So he basically said, I'm just going to sit him. So that could have actually ruined my career. It definitely stagnated my growth as a, as a you know, perennial all-star. 
and it, it really hurt me because you know, and then of course, you know, and you know how much I love Sacramento, even though we joked about it when I first sure, went there. Sure. And you know how much I love Sacramento. So I go from, you know, a Chicago team that was a bad team, but the third biggest media market. So even though we weren't very good, I was still getting a lot of accolades because I was one of the favorite players in Chicago and, and in the league at that time. But I go from Chicago to Kansas City to Sacramento, which was a bad team to another bad team. And then I went to, from there, I went to Atlanta, which we won 55 games and had a chance to, you know, do better the following year. But, you know, that didn't work out. I end up in Orlando, which was another expansion team. Even though we were a really good expansion team, we we're still a bad team. And from that bad team, I ended up in New Jersey, which was another bad team. <laughs> right. So, sure. I mean, it's just God has his plan, man. And, and, and for whatever reason, that was just, you know, my, my plight. I became the guy who was a quick fix guy. I played for two teams most of my career, Chicago and Sacramento. But three, three years in a row, I go three different teams because I could score. I was popular. and you know, people enjoy watching me play, but I was just a quick fix guy. And it never, it, there was never any stability at the end of my career, which I thought actually hurt me moving forward to my after basketball career. It, it's just a lot of stuff that has made up my life. And that's why I'm so, I think that it's made me really broadcaster that, that I am today in, in terms of, you know, depth, in terms of being able to, you know, see both sides. And, and now that, you know, now that I have become a coach, you know, it gave me the ultimate credibility. So it's been an interesting journey. You know, Reg, when you go from Kansas City to Sacramento, bad team, it's the same team moving to Sacramento, but did you look at that? Well, hell, at least I'm going back to California and I'm an hour away from LA. And so I'm going to look at, you know, was, was, was <laughs> no, really, was that part? Well, I'm just, well, you know, Reg, come on, let's be honest, right? You're not in Kansas City. Hey, at least you're in California for crying out loud. Yeah. And, you know, if you remember right, that's what got me in trouble when I first got there. You know, because everybody was talking about, hey, oh, man, we're going to California. Whoa, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, and, and I, had to, I had to burst their bubble. I said, listen, guys. <laughs> uh, you know, because. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a TGI. Hey, well, listen, there's a TGIF Fridays, but you got to get there before 930. And there's a place. <laughs> and, and there's one place to hang out, and it's confettis. And you know what? If you see a guy with red hair and his name's Grant, get the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. <laughs> right. No doubt. But I had to, you know, warn the guys and, and sort of break their bust their bubble. That because when everybody thinks about California, they they think of Southern California mostly. <laughs> sure. And I said, oh. I said, I said, you know, guys, just let me make you understand, you know, Sacramento is not really in California. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. And 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 it turned out to be really funny, and but yet I didn't realize that, you know, obviously it was a massive diss to Sacramento and the mayor, I remember when I first got there was really pissed at me, you know, for saying that. And I didn't mean it in sure. a bad way. I just meant that it's not Los Angeles. It's not hey, Southern Reg, California. Hey, hey, Reg, when I first moved to Sacramento, somebody told me, because I didn't know anything about Sacramento, they said, it's nothing in the middle of everything. That's a pretty good way to describe <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so the great part about that is that we got to see Sacramento go from, you know, basically where it was when we first got there. It had the red line, pepper mill, and confetti. Yep. That was it. Yep. That was it. Yep. You know, and 
we got to watch it go from where it was at that time. And, and again, you know, the, the famous story I always tell, we used to pheasant hunt on the way to practice, (laughs) (laughs) right? You know, we were driving up the the road to the, the, to the arena. It was a huge field, one building and about two miles of nothing around it. And (laughs) we, 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 Pheasant hunt on the way in. Goats, turkeys, um, pheasants, everything. Yeah, every everything. Right. And you know, we got to watch it go from where it was to to where it is today. And it's you know, obviously, it has changed. And I that's why I was so happy. You know, when they were going through this thing about the new arena, where this team was going to leave, and so forth and so on. I just I was just say, guys, do you remember what Sacramento was like before the Kings got there? You know, come on. Yep. Where's your head? Where's your head? Yep. You know, so. Uh, fortunately, they they still haven't, you know, got to where they need to be to, in today's game. But they had a good run for a while. Playing for Jerry Reynolds and not trying to laugh the whole game. And Jerry, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's even hard to bring his name up without laughing. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> but, but he had he just had the simplistic way of talking to the guys in the huddle, didn't he? Yeah, you know. Listen, I've told this story when he got the job. You know, really, it kind of advanced my career in a sense because I was a combo guard before the word combo guard was out there. You know, I was probably one of maybe one or two guys in the history of the game. You know, we have to remember, I came into the game before Magic Johnson, so I was the biggest point guard in the history of of basketball at that point. Mm. And I played the two guard and the one guard equally as well. Part of my problem in my career is that when I was – the two guard, I was the team's best point guard. And when I was a point guard, I was our team's best two guard. So, you know, it, it, it made it, it made it difficult. And when Jerry get, got there and became the head coach, which he did every job there was, you know, sure. I even caught him out there one day, sweeping up the, sweeping up the floor, <laughs> you know, right. with a mop and a bucket and a rag on his head. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, he said, Reggie, he said, listen, we're gonna. I'm gonna change things around a little bit. I'm gonna move you to the point. I'm gonna give you the ball. Here's the ball. He handed me the ball. He said, and he, you know, he used the F word. He said, and don't F it up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That, that was bas- that was basically funny. He, he said, <laughs> but if you know Jerry, you know that what he means by that. And then of course after that he went on to explain what he was talking about. And, and he showed me a few things that I could do differently and how I could help the team and how I can still maintain my own personal goals in terms of basketball and really, you know, get better as a basketball player. Reggie, the first year you get to Sacramento, you make the playoffs, but that building, 10,333, that atmosphere, people sleeping in line overnight when individual tickets went on sale for two, three, and yeah. four days. There was nothing yeah. like that anywhere. That was just still – I came from Illinois. I covered the Big Ten at Champaign. And when I came to Sacramento and I walked into a game for the first time and saw the enthusiasm, I swear, I thought I was at a Big Ten game. I'd never seen anything like it. Well, the one thing that no one can ever say about Sacramento is that the fans has, have always supported the, the, the franchise, have always supported the players and have been there, you know, come rain or shine. You know, it was always funny when we first got there, we had to let them know that really you're not supposed to stand up and give an ovation or clap when the other team scores. <laughs> That's funny. That's beautiful. <laughs> but, but, you know, they were so passionate. It, it, even though we were a team that was sort of right on that edge where we were, we could score with everybody. 
the game was going to be competitive, but we just weren't probably talented enough as a whole team to really win the big games. But, you know, we, we, we did make the playoffs at one time. And, and I, I will say this, it was a lot of fun. The teammates that I had that first year, Eddie, Woody, LaSalle, Otis Thorpe, not the first year, but Otis came later. You know, there's a couple other guys, Joe Klein. We're still all really good friends. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen very often in the NBA, especially on the team that didn't win a championship. It was just the atmosphere. It was the ownership. It was the management and, and how they, they, they made it a family affair. And, and we really all became synonymous with one. Our fan base and the team, we were all basically one happy family and, and fighting for the same goal. It, it was a lot of fun. And I always say that, you know, even in my days going back to Chicago, Chicago fans are, are incredibly intelligent. You couldn't pull anything on them. They, they knew how to read between the lines. And if you just looked at the, the first 10 rows and you didn't look any higher, you'd think it was a sellout. <laughs> right, sure. But Sacramento was selling out no matter what. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And I, you know, I, just, I have a lot of passion and a lot of love for Sacramento even today because of that. You and I did uh, games together, and I, I'm not saying this to other than it's true. I thought you were phenomenal uh, as an analyst on basketball. The only thing that used to really piss me off is um, I had just started going to Thailand every two years to buy custom-made suits, and then the first year I work with you, you know, you come dressed in your, you know, $50,000 suit, and I think I'm looking I think I'm looking real good. I got my new custom threads on from Thailand, and I'm like, uh, no, no, you know, but yeah. we had fun doing the games. And I mean that you we had a you, lot of fun. Yeah, we did. You love broadcasting. Don't you really do? I mean that you, you just seem to have a real knack for it. You know, Grant, it's funny. You know, my suits were never really expensive. You know, I think it was because of my reputation and, and, and what people thought about me, everything that I wore, they thought it was like, you know, some exotic threads or some, you know, <laughs> some different type of you know, stuff that was going on. It was really a pretty average suit that, you know, I say some people wear their suit and sometimes the suit wears the people. It's very, very I love different. it. I love it. So what you're, what, what you're saying is, you know what, this is what Reggie's really trying to say, everybody. I'm so damn good looking. It don't matter what I wear, right? Just come out and say it. <laughs> no, no, but you know, I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoyed, uh, broadcasting as much as anything obviously playing basketball there's no you know there's no comparison but the one thing that's interesting I, I and, and I think you and I've probably talked about this before because we've known each other for 100 years and talked about pretty much everything in the in in the book that, that I started coaching my initial thought of coaching was to become a better broadcaster hmm. and I thought ultimately it would give me the ultimate credibility to to do that job that much better and it helped but you know tides changed where you know real credibility didn't necessarily matter anymore it, it was just more or less about because this became you know, there was 500 sports stations it, you know people just became talking heads sure and and you know that probably you know diminished the, the fact that I played I coached and I was a broadcaster before I played I mean before I coached and then came back to it but it's it's given me the ability to to last a long time, and you know I'm still in it, so it, it's it's fun. I'm I want to do more, but you know you have to sort of these jobs are hard to get now. Sure, they're they are really hard to get. Did you enjoy acting and hang time, and how did that all come about? 
Oh, I, I listen. You know, I, I enjoyed the acting part. It was fun. It was challenging. And you know, the one thing I always say, I never said I was a good actor. <laughs> the bottom line is either in acting, either you have a job or you don't. Mm. So you're either working actor or you're not. So good point. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, I mean that's just how it goes. And and I started studying the acting stuff. Part of it was because I was moving toward broadcasting, and I got a I got a tip from someone once and said, you know, Reggie, you should study acting because the acting will give you the ability to let your personality out and still allow you to understand the control to get to get everything together so you can get your points across at the same time. So I started that with the idea of broadcasting too, but then living in LA, you know, obviously there's things that come across and having the opportunity to do hang time was, was phenomenal. It was a lot of fun because I was doing broadcasting and when the season was over, I'd roll out of the broadcasting part, TNT and ESPN, all that stuff I was doing then right into the, the sitcom, which gave me a pretty good life. Really tough though. When you're doing a, a script a week and you've got to memorize everything, mm. it, it, it's pretty tough. And you have to learn some skills in, in, in memorizing and, and being on point and, and ad-libbing and, and doing different things. A great experience because that also parlayed me into becoming sort of the basketball consultant for the show itself, you know, creating sure. the, the plays and, and the atmosphere for the basketball to, you know, doing a sh- you know, the movie called Like Mike. And now I'm working on another situation, and it's a BET show where I'm going to be doing the basketball things also. Lastly, college coaching and your stops and most recently at Northridge State. I'm just wondering, was that fun to try to mold young people's lives, coaching at that level? What was that like for you? You know, Grant, you bring a part of, of my life that is very personal. Because even when I was back in Sacramento, I had, you know, I was very much into, we had the summer scope where it was the anti-drug basketball camp. I was in Chicago. I had this thing called Rap with Reggie. And it was, I've always been about kids. I've always been about, you know, a mentoring. And that's why I always get so pissed off at Charles Barkley about saying he wasn't a mentor. I, you know, because you are, you know, anyway, you're, 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 you, you are by what you do for a living. Yeah, you're a role so model, you period. Take, right. Absolutely. And right. you have to take you have to take responsibility for that. But uh, to get involved in college, you know, I tried to get uh, become an MBA assistant coach for a few years and I was getting nowhere because it was, you know, it's just a it's like, you know, people don't really understand how hard it is to get one of those jobs. So I had an opportunity to to coach on a on a on a different level. So I, I went through semi-pro stuff. And as I was trying to get a college job, I went through, you know, five years of trying to get a college job. Because what happens is when people see you as an NBA player, an all-star, so forth and so on, you know, there's a lot of coaches that that don't want you sitting on their bench because mm-hmm. they, they fear that you're going to take their job. And and so it makes it really tough when they, you know, they say you, you, you have no experience coaching, but yet you can't get a job. So you're in that catch 22, you know, which which a lot of people go through in their young lives. Um, but having the chance, Grant, to, to be a part of young people, their decision-making process, their growth as young men, you know, it's easy to build basketball players. It's very difficult to build men because 
It's your principles and what you speak to them and the things that happen to them with a tough love and bending to some of the things that you have to bend to, but yet you have to stand firm over here. And, and, and just that constant mentoring, it's great, you know, 10 years later when players come back and, and tell you how you affected their lives and that they've moved on and they've become very successful because of the things that they went through with me in college. I mean, those things really mean something, you know, in, in my life. So I enjoy that part of, of, of coaching basketball, college basketball. People say, well, what's the difference between coaching in the NBA and coaching in college? I said, well, they, they both have their negatives. I mean, obviously, you have to deal with the NC2A and, 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 and a million different rules when it comes to, to college coaching. And you are the CEO of your own program, which means there's 20 layers of, of things you gotta, you're responsible for. In the NBA, you coach your team. You don't have to worry about where the players are at night. In the college, you have to worry about where they are when they're on campus and off campus. Sure. Because, because they become your responsibility. So, I mean, they're, they're both, there's both positives. Uh, NBA life is a lot better, but college coaching is more gratifying. Reg, people always ask me, you know, what's the best part of what was the best part of working in the NBA for 32 years? And I said, you know, very simple. The people I met, the relationships, you know, man, you've always been one of my favorites. Uh, I've known you for, gosh, 35 years and you're the best man. I just love catching up with you. I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and uh, hopefully we can run into each other soon. Oh, Grant, you know that anytime something comes up, you know, and you want to talk about it, let me know. You're the best man. I wish you uh, uh, continued success and stay safe, buddy. You do the same, please. And stay in touch. Talk to you later. We move along to Crowd Question. If you go to crowdquestion.com, you can ask me a question. It takes uh, really less than a minute to sign up, and maybe uh, I will answer your question right here on my podcast. Isaac wants to know, do you think it's unfair how teams like Green Bay has fans in the stadium, but teams like the Seahawks can't allow them during the playoffs? I know it's not full capacity, but there has to be some advantage for them to feed off of the crowd. Here's the way I feel about that. We're all dealing with an uncertain time with this pandemic. Everybody knew going in that these were going to be some of the issues. I don't think it's that big of an advantage. I really don't. I think it's minimal at best. And I think even if it is an advantage, those are the times that we're living in. Hey, we've got football. We're able to watch football every weekend. We should be thankful for that. Even if some teams are able to have fans in and others aren't, it's better than the alternative which is no football. Eric wants to know, typically, what is the approximate disparity between the highest and lowest payrolls in the NBA and how much of a handicap it is it for the lower payroll teams to be competitive? Love the podcast. Thank you, Eric. There is a minimal threshold, so there's a minimum you have to have in the salary cap. There are very, very few teams that go over the cap because they don't want to pay the luxury tax, which is very expensive. That luxury tax is then uh, distributed to the non Uh, tax teams, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think if you draft well and you are very good at evaluating talent, if you're a small market team, you can be very successful and you can win. I mean, San Antonio did it for years. We've seen other teams that are small market teams. Look at Milwaukee, right? Milwaukee's a small market team. They've had the best record in the NBA, and then they have faltered in the playoffs. But small market team, 
showing that it can be done? Good question. Kyle wants to know, do you think Robert Sala can turn the Jets around? Yeah, he can. I've heard great things uh, about Robert, but I've also heard great things about other coordinators in the past. And then when they get into the big seat, they don't get the job done. So just because you're a really good offensive or defensive coordinator doesn't mean you're going to be a successful uh, head coach. They need the backing of the owner, which I am not high on in New York, the front office. Uh, The question is, is Sam Darnold your quarterback moving forward? Is that the guy that you are going to move forward with? But there's no question. Salah has uh, all the, the, he comes with a great pedigree. The players love him. We'll see how that works uh, in New York. Jake wants to know, will this be the best playoff run we'll see out of the Browns? I don't think so. I think this is an up-and-coming team. Uh, I think they're here to stay. I think it's so great for the NFL and that city of Cleveland. Oh, yeah, by the way, how much did the Browns miss Odell Beckham? The answer to that question is not at all, like I called it. Just want to pat myself on the back, which I don't normally do. But I think the Browns are here to stay. Now, you can't forecast injuries, and that's something that you just never know. But I, I think the Browns are are around. I think they're going to be one of these teams. They're like the Buffalo Bills. I don't think they're going anywhere for a period of time. Charlie asks, isn't it kind of ridiculous? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is receiving a COVID vaccine for promoting the vaccination. I think that Kareem, with his age, would have been in line to get the vaccination anyway. So I don't know if really that's why he got the vaccination. There is no rhyme or reason to me with the vaccination and some of the stories uh, that we have heard, but I think he would be in line to get one anyway uh, based on his age. Juan wants to know, are the Detroit Lions the most hapless franchise in all of sports? In all of sports? I can't go that far, but boy, yeah, they're, they're, they're near the bottom of the barrel uh, in the NFL. Max asks, are you impressed by Harden's first game in Brooklyn? No, I'm not impressed because the guy's a tremendous player. I'm not impressed. Why would I be impressed? I mean, I've watched him play for his entire career. He's a dynamite talent. He's extremely gifted, particularly offensively. My issue with Harden, and I've well documented it with all of my rants, but again, I don't like the way he plays in the biggest of games. Now, the fact that he has Harden and who knows about Kyrie Irving, will that be the difference uh, for James Harden? All right, let's get to some other questions. Alex, is Kyrie's suspension fine justified? Not only is it justified, I think they were way too lenient on Kyrie Irving. I mean, he just decides that he's going to leave the team and doesn't call the coach or the front office. I mean, the guy's a joke. I mean, he's a joke. There's just no other way to say it. I don't think the guy's stable. He's a very unstable person to me. So is it justified? Hell yeah, it's justified. Brandon wants to know, thoughts on Barkley saying the NBA and NFL players should get the vaccine first because they pay more taxes. I'm a huge Charles Barkley fan. I was blessed to have him on my podcast back in October, but I think he's way off base here. You know, just because you're rich, just because you pay more taxes should not mean that you're entitled to, to a certain type of medicine above others. There are a lot of people that need the vaccine more than well-conditioned, top-shape athletes. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I'm just going to throw this out there. Is there an NBA player, NFL player, we'll just keep it to those two right now, that have tested positive for COVID and then had real devastating effects And again, I'm doing this off the top of my head. We're talking about the most well-conditioned athletes in this country. 
So, no, they should not be getting ahead of the line just because they make more money and they pay taxes. No, that would be wrong. So I'm sorry. In this case, I disagree with Charles Barkley. You're going to go to crowdquestion.com, sign up, ask me a question. Maybe I'll answer it right here on the podcast. It's time for Rant. 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 Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing, locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Leak detection. Waterline repair, bathroom plumbing. New Works Plumbing is a full-service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problems, they've got a fix for you. Their expert technicians are available 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. It's now eight games and counting for the Sacramento Kings, allowing at least 120 points a game. They've got the worst defensive rating currently in NBA history. The other night, the New Orleans Pelicans came into Sacramento on Sunday, riding a five-game losing streak and one of the worst offensive teams in the NBA, 27th worst, and they put 129 on the freaking board. And you know what I hear about the next day? Is De'Aaron Fox and how he scored 43 points. Who the hell cares? They lost. What difference does it make how many points he scored? As Jerry Reynolds always used to tell me, every team has a leading score, even the bad teams. Now, I'm not sitting here saying this is all De'Aaron Fox's fault. The point I'm trying to make is, who the hell cares how many points he had? He's a starting point guard on a team that has the worst defensive rating in NBA history. All right? So I don't really care how many points De'Aaron Fox has. Here's what I do know. Right now, the Sacramento Kings' performance is embarrassing. Again, the Pelicans, one of the worst offensive teams in the league, five-game losing streak, and they put 129 on the board. I've said this several times, and I'm going to say it again. The Kings should be counting their lucky stars that fans are not allowed into their games because they would would be booed off the floor every single night. It would be ugly, okay? It would not be a good sight. The Kings right now are a freaking disaster. Eight straight games, 120 points or more. That is a franchise record in futility. Embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. And I'm tired of the players coming out saying we need to do this. We need to do that. You know what? Talk is cheap. Go out and show me. Don't tell me. Show me. Awful. Absolutely awful. Goes into the column of embarrassing with a capital E. And that's my rant for today. Hey, thanks as always for listening to the podcast. Make sure you check out my YouTube channel and my video rants. If you don't like that with Grant Napier is the channel as well. I always appreciate you taking the time to subscribe. Leave a comment. It's greatly appreciated. Make it a great day. My thanks to Reggie Theus. Had fun with that. And as always, thank you so much. For checking me out right here, if you don't like that, with Grant Napier.